listen to me. Let's do that hockey. Welcome to Dauber Prospects Report. This is report number 16. I'm Victor Nuno, one of the co-hosts here. And with me as always, Peter Harling. How you doing, Pete? Doing good, Victor. Doing good. It's getting into draft season for the leagues I'm in. I've already got two entry draft prospect drafts under my belt. Got a big one coming up pretty soon in the in the DPR leagues that we're starting. And then I got another one that is the Dauber Prospects Writers League. So pretty excited about draft season. How about you? Oh, yeah. I think I'm in that league now, too. The Dauber Prospects Writer League. So I probably should look at that team. I inherited the Rangers, which have some Rangers and some non-Rangers. <laughs> but yeah, that's going to be fun. And we should we should definitely talk about our Dauber Prospects Report Listener League. We got such an amazing response. We filled up both of our leagues. People are already in and paid. And actually, I think we're going to have to make a third one. And Evan's going to have to be the star of the show of his own league because people like us, Pete. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, we just got another five-star review on on the podcast, which I posted on Twitter today. So so thanks very much for that. And you know, we really like getting those five-star reviews. They're, they're fun to read and they're motivating for us to keep fucking away and doing what we're doing. It's a good way for you to tell us what it is you like about the show. And you can reach out to us and tell us what you want to hear more of as well on, on Twitter or or join the Discord and tell us there. Yeah, we have a Discord. If you if you hadn't heard, we we mainly set it up for the participants of this league, but you can also get in there and give us feedback on the shows and give us maybe some ideas. We have some questions in here from the Discord that we'll be taking and, and putting in the show. But I have to get back to Evan and ask, what do you think about having your own league? Oh, man, I'm just going to have to dominate with, you know, from the outside without you guys. It's, you know, I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm just happy that we have that many people that want to play with us. You know, I think it's a good thing for the podcast and you know, connect with the fans, man. And that's what it's all about when you're talking fantasy. Yeah, it's going to be a good time. I'm definitely looking forward to it. We're going to be drafting in a, a few weeks here, and we'll be talking a little bit more about that as, as we go throughout the year. Even if you're not participating with us, you'll we'll, we'll be able to reference the show. It'll be good times. Before we get started, I do want to remind everyone that Dauber Prospects Report is a member of the Hockey Podcast Network. We're very excited to be part of an army of fantastic hockey podcasts. Please check out at HockeyPodNet for all the shows like this one, talking hockey from fantasy, team cover to you name it. You can also use the, the DraftKings promo code THPN for listening to the show. More on that in a bit. And we also need to remind you of the 17th annual Dauber Hockey Fantasy Prospects Report and the main report. Both the Dauber Hockey Report and Prospects Report are out. And I contributed to the prospects report, and you, I know, contributed to the main report as well, talking prospects and their impact in redraft leagues and all of the immediate impact that the guys are going to have. So, you definitely want to check that out over at dauberhockey.com in the shop. A little bit about what we're going to be doing today we're going to be talking dynasty strategy. So, we got some, some topics that we came up with, we got some topics from Twitter, and we got some topics from the Discord, Pete. What do you think about that? Speaking my language. This is with stuff that, that I really love. And I'm, I'm pretty excited to, to dive into it and get busy, get busy drafting. 
Yeah, let's do it. So let's jump into some of these questions here. I put this at the top because I thought this was very apropos to what exactly we're doing. Drafting a brand new team. What's your strategy? This is from at Jeeves NHL, who goes by Michael. And he wants to know specifically, how do you avoid being stuck in the middle? And of course, a reminder that we're going to be doing this pretty soon on our Diver Prospects Report Dynasty League. So how do you do that, Pete? So... For my strategy for going into an inaugural draft, right? Like everyone's starting from scratch here. So I'm not sure why you would go in with a rebuild right out of the gate, right? You, you enter the rebuild when your window's closing. So for me, I'm, I'm, I'm all in right out of the gate. I'm aimed directly at players in their prime, guys with like a two-year window at minimum for their prime to start. Those are my early round picks. You build a core of, of four to five players that are the engine of your roster, right? And you want to pay close attention to the league scoring because that really matters. You know, guys who you think are great players in the NHL aren't necessarily great players in fantasy. And then players who are great players in fantasy points only league aren't necessarily as great in multi-cat leagues and so on and so forth. So you want to make sure you're you're building your roster correctly and you're you're understanding the player values correctly. And if it's a salary cap league, then that adds another layer to the onion too, right? You don't want to load up on guys that have nine, 10, 11 million dollar contracts for, for 10, 10, nine years or whatever it is, the longest they can be and find yourself hand, handicapped or handcuffed in, in a cap league where you can't make roster moves. Positional value is also important too. I think, you know, a defenseman scored the same as forwards and points only. If that's the case in your league, then the defensemen are, are far more rare and therefore valuable. Same thing for goalies. Do you roll with the zero G strategy or do you go early and get a horse like Vasilevsky or Sorokin or Shesterkin or something like that? In terms of getting stuck in the in the murky middle, which totally sucks, I think what you need to do is, is be honest with your team. Assess your roster's competitiveness. Are, are you a competitive team or a contender? There's a difference between those two. Look at your roster, honestly analyze it, do a little flow chart. Can I win the league? Yes then, you know, sell your futures and add depth and make it so that you are the team to beat. You know, can I win the league? Maybe it would take a series of luck and miracles, but it's possible. You know, you have a good team. It's not the best. So you could, you know, look at selling some of your future picks or prospects. And if it lands you a difference maker, or if you think you can win the league, no, but you have, you know, a title to defend or we'll win a couple of rounds and, and maybe get a consolation prize then I think you need to to look a little harder at your roster and ask some follow-up questions. Do you have a good prospect farm? Yes. So I think then you, you know, you stay the course. And if you don't have a good prospect team, then, you know, maybe it's time to start selling and rebuilding. That might be the time. If you don't think you can win the league, then you're probably going to, or you're probably going to miss the playoffs then, or get bounced in round one, then sell, 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 like scorched earth, man, sell all your, your, players who aren't in their their prime and even some of you guys who maybe are in their prime you want young guys and prospects and draft picks galore so i think that's how you kind of avoid being in the murky middle and that's how i enter draft strategies and inaugural drafts yeah those are really solid points and you absolutely do not want to get stuck in the middle that is the worst and i totally agree with you being having to be honest a lot of times you get attached to your players. I like this guy. He, he might still turn into something, but the reality is that if you're not really a competitive team, 
then you probably just need to tear it down because the worst thing is just being stuck in the middle for years and, you know, not being, not quite having the pieces to be able to get those top picks. So if you're not there, you need to really sell those features, get the picks, get the prospects. It might hurt for a year or two, but you got to be able to get those assets, you know, and, and, just go ahead and and tear it down when you need to. You got to you got to sell if you wait too long, then those assets aren't going to be worth as much. So you want to get top dollar before those vets fall off the cliff, before they're no longer valuable. You know, if you're if you're a competitive team, then sure, ride those ride them all the way to the end, right? That is that is definitely something that is worth it, but if you need to tear it down then do it. I, I will also mention that Although I don't disagree with you, I think that, you know, you kind of want to go in and, and try to win right away. I did just do an episode on keeping Carlson where we talked about a league that that I'm in, that I commish, that I actually started the other way. Because the other thing I think is important here is that you got to know what your other league mates are going to do. And to some extent, you want to extract value. Like, obviously, everyone knows that Connor McDavid is going to get taken first. But is there potentially going to be a run on D or on goalie? Maybe, you know, people tend to like the young players. So maybe you can get some older vets that are competitive. What I did in that league is I just, I kind of went completely the other way and went for prospects and went for young players while everyone else was going for their, you know, the win now strategy, which I wouldn't necessarily recommend unless you're the commissioner know that that league's going to be around for a long time because otherwise it could just fold and then you're, you know, stuck with a really good young team, but you're never going to see it to fruition. But you can go ahead and listen to that on their feet if you're interested in that other angle but basically you want to you want to try to compete now and don't forget about those older vets though because they often are very valuable in this kind of setup and people generally in a new league they want of course they want the young studs right they want the young 22 year olds that have years of production ahead of them but like you said you only need someone who's going to be good for a few years like you don't need to look that far down the line you don't need to look five years in the future you can keep it at a couple so the next question is the gambler's dilemma. How do you decide when it's time to go all in or retool? Hold them or fold them, Pete? Well, I kind of talked a little bit about that on in the last answer there. But, you know, keep in mind, fantasy hockey is is for fun. That, that's why I'm in all the leagues that I'm in. You know, if I win, that's that's cool. That's great. That's bragging rights or maybe some cash. But it's really I'm in it for the the adventure, the the journey, the season, the drafting, trading, the scouting the players in the offseason at the World Juniors and finding the prospects and the gems. And that's what's got me into this whole side gig that I've got going on here. So building a dynasty from the ground up, it's it's kind of challenging, rewarding and fun. You can have a good team and hit the rebuild or the tank button if you want. One of the leagues I'm in, the guy who I think won it like two years ago, defending champ, blew it up, traded all his superstar players for draft picks draft capital and you know a grade prospects and his team sucked last year but next year he's he's coming right back in the mix right so when you're rebuilding from a, a position of of strength or power you've got assets and collateral that really speed up your rebuild if you come into a an established league and you inherit a team and like brian burke said gms don't get hired the teams that aren't sinking ships right? Chances are, if you're joining a dynasty league, it's a team that sucked, that finished last, and the schmuck who owned it before you traded away all your draft picks. So you're looking at like a five-year rebuild at best. Those are long and painful. 
but if you're building a team from you know a good position and you're rebuilding from from that, then you can do it a lot quicker. Another thing you want to keep in mind before you hit the rebuild or the tank button is you want to look at what's coming up in the entry draft. And gambling on draft lottery requires good timing. The tanking and winning guys like Jack Hughes or Alexi Lafreniere or in power is nice, but you know it doesn't really set you up for a dynasty. It just gives you some good players. Or, you know, you could even do worse and get a guy like Neil Yakupov or Nolan Patrick, and it just turns into nothing, right? And so you just lost an entire an entire year of your rebuild plan and draft strategy. So when when's it time to rebuild or retool? I think it's kind of up to what you want to get out of the league, right? And rebuilding is fun. If you don't really dig that, then you know you can try and be like an NHL team that that just never never says die and always goes at it. Philadelphia has been that team for a long time. But sooner or later, everyone's got to do it because you just drafting late all the time or trading away your picks catches up to you, catches up to every team eventually. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. I think, as we said earlier, you got to be honest and really think about where you are. I don't know if people knew this, but if you go into Fantrack, you can actually look at category scoring or you can look at it different ways you can assess your team versus the rest of the league and you can see how good i am am i at goals at power play points at shots at whatever and if you're near the middle to bottom in those categories across the board you are not a competitive team like i'm sorry you're just not so you have to be honest and say well unless i can really unless my team is going to mature unless my guys are emerging into their prime and i have some prospects that are graduating how is that going to get better? How is that going to change? If it's not going to change, you need to be honest and say, well, we just got to do something different. That's possible that you could retool, you know, maybe do some two for ones or that kind of thing. But it's unlikely that you're really going to be able to get all the way into that top third in all the categories. That's where you need to be. You need to be top third in most categories, even if this is a points league where, you know, you get points for certain categories, it'll, it'll track it this way. And you need to be in the top third for most of the categories, or you're not really going to be able to be competitive. You know, you can also look at obviously average points per game. Another easy way to look at it is if half your roster is below the average points per game at each position, how are you going to be competitive? There's no way you're going to be able to beat most of the teams. So you can just look at it's a points league. And let's just say for a simple example, most of the forwards get five points a game. And you're clocking in at about four and a half. You're not going to be able to beat most of the teams, right? You're going to be well below average. So you kind of have to be honest and say, well, if I don't see anything majorly changing here, I got to just tear it down, right? If you can't hang, tear it down. And it's tough because the other option is you get stuck in the middle, just trying to compete, you know, basically making the playoffs and then getting ousted right away. Like that's not super fun either. Like, yeah, maybe you'll get lucky. Things happen in the playoffs, but. In my experience, those quote unquote lucky playoff wins are not really teams that are kind of bad. They're teams that are actually pretty good and kind of got unlucky during the regular season and then they turned around the playoffs. So you just have to be really honest with yourself, I think. And that's, you know, ask us, ask people that, you know, where you can post your team and, and get some feedback. I know at Fantasy Hockey Life, we have channels where you can do that. You can reach out to people on Twitter. Another good place is look at, ask people, well, in other leagues, you know, if you're in leagues with several different people and maybe ask the, another guy in a league that or ask, posted in the other league's chat or something, hey, what do you think of this? Is this 
team competitive. Try to get some objective input, though, is what I'm trying to say, because sometimes you get too attached to your team and you think everything is great and it's not. <laughs> so, Victor, how do you find that on Fantrax? You want to look at your your categories, comparisons. For anyone who doesn't know how to find it, where do you, where do you get it? You go into standings and then you go into season stats and it'll actually show you each category and where you rank in each and you one. Can, and you can sort it by category. Sort it by category. You can sort of, obviously there's skater and goalie categories and you'll see like where you are in each one. So in goals, you you know, maybe like in this league, I'm third and then in, in assists, like I'll be fifth and then PIMS or whatever, like shots, you'll be, you know, whatever. So you can see across the board, you can reorganize by category and say, this is where I am in, in each league. And it should be pretty clear then, you know, like I said, unless there's something like, like maybe you had a couple of really bad injuries and some top players missed the whole season. If there's a really good reason why that happened, sure. Like you don't necessarily need to tear it down, but if there's not, and you thought you were pretty competitive and you're just really average or below average, then stop lying to yourself and tear it down. <laughs> yeah. Another thing you can do if you want to look at it by category and, and break it down even further by category is you can click on players and select the skaters category in the position and then the status select all players and that'll show you and then you can sort that by categories you can see who the league leading scores are for for goals or hits or penalty minutes whatever your your categories are and then you can just kind of scroll through say you got 20 teams in your league well it goes 20 per page right so how many players do i have on the first page if you're a 20 team league you got to have at least one in each category and you're going to want if you want to be a strong team you got to have multiple guys contributing points in each category. So if you're going through and you're like, well, I don't have anybody on goals, but I got one guy, he's 15th in assists, and I've got like two guys with hits, but no one with blocks. That's, you know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna win a lot of weeks with with that. You got like three guys on the first page for goals and two guys for assists and four guys for shots. Then, you know, now you're laughing. This ties into another question. And this is a question from our Discord. Players that offer up hits and blocks are considerably different than players who offer up points. How much weight is there any difference between the two? And I think you mentioned this slightly in the beginning, like obviously in, in points leagues, there can be different assigned point value for each one of these things. But in categories leagues, it's not so clear, right? You're just kind of across the board. It looks like they're all even. Most category leagues you play in, it's even distribution of you win the goals category, you win goals, you win the hits, you win hits. But I think that to this point, you do actually have to prioritize these a little bit. And a goal is not worth a hit. A goal is not worth a block. A goal isn't worth an assist or a faceoff win. They are all a little bit more scarce or some of them are more scarce. Left Wing Lock, I remember a while ago, did an analysis of this, and it's pretty consistent year to year. And what they found is that, of course, some categories are more scarce. As you might imagine, some of the most scarce things are like shorthanded goals, things that don't happen very often. But, you know, you shouldn't have a category of shorthanded goals. But if of things that are pretty common, like power play goals or power play points, if you will, those are relatively rare. They don't necessarily happen every game. They happen somewhat frequently, though. And the other thing is that they're pretty reliable. The guys who get power play points tend to get power play points every year. So you want something, if it's a little bit more scarce, but also reliable in who gets it, that helps you prioritize which players you want. You want those players. So power play points to me are at the top. And then it's goals, 
then shots, then assists, face-off wins, hits, and blocks. Roughly in that order. So power play points, goals, shots, assists, face-off wins, hits, and blocks. Another way to phrase it is the most replaceable stats generally are blocks, hits, and face-off wins. A lot of guys can get them. They don't necessarily need to score points. And you can generally find a replacement on the waiver wire. Now, finding someone that does all of those things is a completely different story, right? Because then that's amazing value. But the way that I address this, and I'd be happy to talk with someone more personally on this, is I use a formula in my Google Sheet that I basically assign a percent priority value to each one of these. So I download a spreadsheet from Fantasy Hockey Geek. They're a great partner of Dauber. And it'll basically roughly project what each player will get. And then I basically amplify the stats that I think are worth amplifying, the ones I just mentioned, and I de-emphasize, according to this percent calculator, the ones that I don't think are as important. Because I want the guys to come to the top that do the things that are most rare and predictable. That's how you get the best players. And so that's the strategy that I use to prioritize those types of stats. What do you think about that, Pete? I think that's next level. You're probably going to win. I'm glad we're not in the same league because you'd probably win and then you'd have bragging rights over. <laughs> That's the real reason we, we put ourselves in different leagues. We don't want to have any strife on the podcast. So just right. go in different leagues. <laughs> yeah, so that's my strategy for that. Here's the next question that I know you have a good answer to, Pete. And that is buy low, sell high. How to? This is from Patrick W. at Extra Average on Twitter. How do, we, how do you buy low and sell high? That's the trick, right? Reading the tea leaves is is not easy. No one's got the crystal ball. So we all have good ideas about which players are trending up and which players are trending down. And it's it can be pretty predictable in some cases. You know, the older guys get, you know, the the more likely they are to be on on the downstroke. And as they're entering their their prime years and hitting the the 200 game thresholds, then you know, you can expect them to start blossoming into becoming fulfilling the potential we all think that they have. So you're looking for trends for your breakout thresholds, player off-season movement, right? So if a, if a team acquires a playmaker and you've got a guy who's been a goal scorer on the team that's added this playmaker and he's never had a playmaker to play with, well, that could move the needle on your goal scorer, right? Like we all thought maybe what happened with Patrick Liney last year, but it kind of didn't. Players in contract years is is another thing you can look at guys who are about to become an unrestricted free agent will be looking to have monster seasons statistically so they can cash in on their their paycheck versus guys who who just signed a long-term contract and might might not have that same sense of urgency and might go on cruise control from time to time players who are exempt from waivers it makes it hard for the team you know bubble players that is it would make it hard for the team to send them down to the american hockey league because they'd risk losing them on waivers and giving them away for free you want to look at team depth charts you know you got a player that you like and you know he's been a 20 goal scorer but look at the team that he plays for and is there roster competition in his position that'll make it hard for him to get power play one minutes top six minutes that kind of stuff of course by the Dauber Fantasy Guide. It gives you plenty of examples of these types of things. Players that that they are projecting to improve or decline, and you can apply that rationale to any of the players on your roster. Apply it to players who are free agents in your league or players who are being offered to you in trade or players that you want to trade target. Make sure that you're targeting the right guys. 
that's just a couple of things off the top of my head that I put together, Victor. What are what are some ways that you buy low, sell high? Yeah, I knew you were going to have a good good answer to that. That was good. I think some other things to mention, I think you are really good at, at thinking about some of those things like waiver exemption, contract years, depth chart. Like Those are really important things that I think are sometimes unseen to people. And so really good points. I would mention a couple other things too. Obviously, one of the big things is people value players very differently. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you really want to, I just had this example of it. I was talking about on the, on the Keeping Carlson episode. I drafted Quinn Byfield several years ago thinking he was going to be a star right about now, and he is not. And I shopped him around a little bit, and people were pretty skeptical about his value now, which I understand. I still had him valued pretty highly, but I found someone who valued him as higher higher than I did. And so I was able to get a good return. It's really important to not accept just cons- what you perceive as consensus opinion about someone, because there really isn't such a thing. All you need is one player. Who like look at the NHL, for example, someone who thinks Adam Larson is worth Taylor Hall. Cool. You get that player because all you need is one GM to think that that's worth it. Right. But it doesn't matter if everyone else in the the league thinks it's a bad trade. If you get a great asset or if you get a great return, then you get it. So make sure you shop around, I guess, is part of the point here I'm trying to make. Make sure you talk to different people. You also need to read the room. Find out what the other GM's interests are. That's why it's really nice to get to know the GMs in your league. What kinds of things do they prefer? What kinds of players do they like? Do they like, you know, the really, you know, high-end scorers or guys that are just on good teams? Do they not like guys on bad teams? Like, what kinds of things are they interested in, right? There's Everyone has their little trends, you know? So that's important to, to know what they like and don't like. Don't go offering someone who, you know, doesn't like certain players, a guy that they're not going to like there that's not going to go well so that's i think an important thing and, and then i think some other things are to look at measures of unsustainability right someone who shoots 25 percent and they've been a career 12 percent shooter what do you think is going to happen it's not rocket science like he's coming down so that's important points participation ipp if it's really high for someone you know we can talk about what you know, average numbers should be for forwards. They should probably be around 70 unless they're an elite forward, 50 for defensemen. So if they're rocking like a 90% IPP, that's coming down. There's no way they're going to be on the ice for that many goals sustained throughout the season or next season. So you look for measures of unsustainability. PDO is another one, shooting percentage and save percentage. If somebody's percentages are all rocking high and they had a career year, trade them, right? See if someone will buy into that. You know, it's always tricky. You never know if someone's going to repeat it. There's so many things to think about. This is what makes it fun. Is the team going to be the same? Is the who they play with, the competition, have people learned their tendencies? There's so many things we don't really know, but you can look at some of these numbers and I guess, and, and guess whether there's going to be regression or not. So those are some things that I would add to that. And and we try to talk about that on, on, on Fantasy Hockey Life and other podcasts talk about it. Just kind of listen and and do your own research, you know, kind of like see someone's offering a player who has these crazy metrics, like take a look. Dauber frozen tools has tons of these. You can look at it and you can see like, okay, they're like, they even have flashing red lights on their profile. Like this guy is unsustainable. So you don't even have to really think that hard. It's like, yeah, sell this player. (laughs) Another point I'll make on that one, Victor is you don't have to like, 
be the only winner in the trade, right? You can trade from a position of strength. If you've got a surplus of left wingers and there's a guy in your league who doesn't have enough to roster, you know, his, his full complement of left wingers, then you can trade from your position of strength. You know, you're selling low and you're buying high on a position that he has in surplus that maybe you need that, you know, you're taking advantage of, of his needs with your excess. It, it's a win-win situation, right? Those, those are the best trades. You always feel good when you make a win-win, it, you know, you, you rip someone off and you're like, ha I won that trade. And, and then you're like, oh, I kind of screwed that guy over a little bit, <laughs> maybe it's, a little, maybe a little guilt. It's a hundred percent important to keep that in mind. And it's not just like, oh, I feel bad or I don't feel bad. You have to be very practical about this. If you rip somebody off and everybody in the league saw sees that you ripped this person off, first of all, that person's never going to trade with you again. The other people are going to not treat you well because they know they don't want to get taken advantage of. So it's not only the nice thing to do, it's actually good for you to try to find common ground and try to find a win-win yeah. because it's going to make for better trade partners. I mean, I have so many guys that I've traded with many times over the years because they know that that there's a position of respect here i'm not trying to make them look foolish like yeah this might work really well for me for now and them for later but the point is that there should be some common ground and and win-win and that's the nice thing about dynasty in redraft i find it's almost impossible like you know unless you're trading like a goalie for a forward or a d for or whatever like it's hard to find that common ground because you're all trying to win right now but in dynasty you can trade to a rebuilding team and you can be a competitive team and you can both win right and that's that's what makes it really nice Next question. Blind spots, if any, created by using VORP for decision-making at OG Craftser. What do you think, Pete? What's VORP? Meep, more VORP. <laughs> Sorry, I'm old. I don't know what that is. I wanted to leave that in because I think it is funny. Yes. It so we use fun. this We use this all the time. And I, some people probably don't know what it is. So I'm glad that you're being a people's man, Pete. VORP stands for value over replacement replacement rp together i guess or replacement player but the point is that it's not just how good is this player but how good are they relation to what you could replace them with so you could think about vorp or replacement as the free agent pool you can think of replacement or you can sit instead of vorp you could say vora value over average or voa and so you can think of that as what is the, like, think about forwards in a league where you have, you know, maybe six forward spots and there's 20 teams. So you have that many forwards. And what is the average production of those forwards? So what is the value over average is one way you could think of it. Or what is the value over replacement? What is the free agent pool? And if you think about it this way, for one, generally centers have a very low value over replacement unless you're talking about Connor McDavid but most centers that are like 70 to 80 point guys don't have a huge value over replacement because you can generally find someone who's close to that level as a free agent but things like right wing defense certainly at the very top there can be a, a huge value over replacement you know someone like Kill McCarr over a replacement D is a massive chasm of value, right? So this also, this comes into effect, this VORP idea, when you're talking about drafting, we talked about that at the beginning, why you might want to draft certain positions, why you might want to avoid others. So generally in drafts, I often fade centers because I know 
that unless I can get a super high end one, I might wait because I know I could get, you know, Sasha Barkov a little bit later, potentially, or like an Elias Lindholm wasn't, wasn't a great example this past year, but something like that, right? You can get certain things a little bit later, whereas others you might want to move to the top because those super high end point getting defensemen, you know, they're only a handful that are, you know, the Adam Fox's, Kale McCars of the world. And certainly like right wings and, and left wings at the very top are kind of similar. So that's the idea. And then so Crafter's asking, are there any blind spots? Sure, absolutely. Because you have to think about not only what is the value over replacement, but how do other teams value them? Because you don't necessarily know that. And in a draft, they might take someone earlier. They might, there might be some sort of not natural you know, desire or craving of a certain position. You know, you've heard about the goalie run that often happens. And then you're like, oh, shoot, I don't have a goalie. So you feel like you need to take one sooner than maybe you do. So there are definitely some some things that can mess with your straight up VORP valuation because you have to just look at your team because in the end, you can't just take high value or high VORP guys. You have to still fill the team <laughs> that has all the players and and compete in all the stats. So sometimes you do have to take it a step back, I think, and look at team need. Okay, what do I need now? Even though there's this really great value, you know, winger, I still need a couple more defensemen. So maybe I have to go there, even though the value isn't quite there. But you, I think you try as much as you can to do that. I think it helps you get better value in the draft. And that's what it's about. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Light the lamp with DraftKings Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can make a $5 bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code THPN. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Okay, next one. What pieces are worth holding on to? All right, I I assume we're talking about on your prospect bench, right? So for me, I look at players who I hold on to long-term for four or five years are guys who I project as potential impact players. One of the problems I have, honestly, in, in my fantasy dealings is I identify players and hold on to them for a couple of years. And then if their value, the expectation changes and their value is diminishing, I kind of feel like I'm already pot committed and I'll continue to hold on to them. Like, well, I've already spent two years on this guy and, you know, there's a lot of good examples I could come up with for, for players who I've held on to for too long. So that, that, that is one of the things that I need to identify. And then when I feel like they're not moving in the correct direction anymore and they start flatlining before they start turning down, that will be a good opportunity to trade them. And sometimes you're going to be wrong, right? Sometimes you're going to trade prospects and, you know, maybe they were just having a cold streak and, and then they, they rebound and become what everyone thought they were going to be. And, you traded them for below market value. Well, you know, whoops, sometimes that happens. And sometimes you're going to, you know, you're going to have a player who everyone was was all hot and bothered about in the draft. 
And then a year later, you're like, I don't, I'm not seeing it anymore. Like watch them in a tournament or in a couple of league games. And you're thinking to yourself, there's something about this that I don't like. I don't like his opportunity with the team that he's in. I don't like how he's transitioning to the American Hockey League, whatever it is. Then that's an opportunity to sell high on him and, you know, and gain some of that, recapture that value and put it towards another asset, a player or a draft pick before the bottom falls out on the market on that player. So it's a bit of a risk, you know, that's where doing your homework and research comes in. But I think generally speaking, holding on to players long-term, if they don't have a good upside value, then why are you waiting so long for them? Very good points. I will mention something just that applies to both the pro and prospects. I think you kind of need to, with the pros anyways, you have to, what we were talking about at the beginning, look at your roster in terms of thirds, top third, middle third, bottom third. The bottom third should be freely movable. You should have no problem dropping, trading, whatever. The top third, you should be getting amazing assets for not moving because those are your, your best guys. A lot of the middle guys are maybe unclear. Maybe they haven't hit their potential. Maybe they're middling. But you need to really evaluate those carefully because those can bite you if you move too early, like you were saying. And sometimes you really just need to move on to them. But I think a lot of people, what I see is that they look at them, their middle roster guys, and they just get so attached to them and think that they're much better than they are. And they're really not. They're guys that they should be able to move on from, but they they can't. They feel attached to them. And I think, you know, somewhat similar to your to your prospects, you have to as you mentioned, are they are they progressing? Are they moving in the right direction? If they're not moving in the right direction, is there a good reason? Did they, you know, I think one example is like what happened at the University of Wisconsin this year. It was a really difficult program. It seemed like it was very chaotic and a lot of players struggled there. Okay, if I, if I have a prospect who was there this year, I'm not going to hold that against them too much. I'm going to give them another year and see what happens, right? If there's a decent reason for that, obviously the COVID guys had you know, when the OHL was shut down, clearly a good reason of, of why they might have struggled in, in their trajectory. So if there's a good reason, then, you know, it's fine. You can give them a little bit longer. But if they're trending in the wrong direction, you kind of need to move on before it's too late, before their value completely dissipates. And you might get burned every now and then. But I think if you generally move your guys sooner than later, you're going to win more times than you lose. And I wouldn't worry about it too much. All right. The next question is about structuring your prospect pool. Assuming 30 spots like our DPR leagues are going to be, how do you consider how far out they are ceiling versus floor? How do you, how do you think about this, your prospect pool? Well, it's going to be very similar to your kind of three tier that you just talked about for your, for your roster there. I try to have a balance of short-term weight guys. Ideally they have a high upside. These are your, your early prospects to to target in the draft, right? Your early draft targets. Guys who are, you know, in the top 50 of prospect rankings on on the Dopper blobber site there. Those guys that have high upside that are a year or two away from from making it. Those are the guys you target early. You want to flush out, you know, four or five rounds of drafts with those guys. Then when you get into the more middle of the of the draft, you want to start continuing to look at prospects that have a high upside, but they're but they're a ways away, right? Three to five years away. Those are the guys probably, you know, this year's entry draft crop. You know, I wouldn't consider drafting too many guys from this year's draft in an inaugural prospect draft out outside of, you know, maybe Connor McDavid or Bedard and 
a couple other guys in the first round or two because they're just they're just so far away. And Connor Bedard is coming into the NHL right out of the right out of the gate too, so he's not a good example. Then when you start getting down later on in the later rounds, then you know there's probably not too many high upside guys left anymore. So now I start looking at fleshing out my my prospect pool with some players that you know can can help me out in the short term. Guys who are in the American Hockey League or in their senior years at college and, or, or over in Europe that might come over and play in the NHL as, as soon as the end of the season kind of thing, right? Maybe some some players that just signed contracts out of college. Guys who don't have a high upside, but you don't have to wait too long on them to find out if they're going to be relevant or not at all. And, you know, if they come in and you don't even need them on your roster, but if they come over and start playing NHL games, well, now you've got a trade asset for someone who's who's struggling with injuries or something. And you can trade that for a higher round draft pick than what you you collected them for or something to that extent. So that's kind of how I, I look at my prospect pool. I try to have some guys who have high upside and and I don't have to wait too long. Like they're, they're going to be influencers in my roster in the near future. And then I got some other guys who are going to be influencers on my roster, but I got to be patient with them. And then I'm going to have some other guys who don't have that much upside, but they at least have some value. I don't have to wait long to find out if they're, if they're going to be any good or not. Yeah. So I think, I think that's a really nice balanced strategy. You can't have all guys that are five years away and you can't have all guys that are about to graduate because you won't have enough roster spots for all those guys once they lose their their minor eligibility. So you you got to kind of keep that in mind too. So that's those are some key points for me, Victor. What about you? No, I think you made some excellent points there. Uh, one of the most underutilized, I think, aspects of a prospect pool, and a lot of us refer to this as the farm, right? This is where you're farming, you're you're growing your prospects. You're you're on the farm. You need to stream from your farm. Right. So that's a big part of one of those tiers, right? One of those thirds, I mean, sorry. So one of the thirds of my prospect farm is basically just to stream up and down into my pro roster. And then when they're done, like you said, these are generally not high upside guys. They're just guys that are playing, providing stats. Then I drop them, right? So you you stream them from the farm until they're no longer useful. Then you dump them. One of those thirds can definitely be, you know, guys that are really far away. And ideally have really high upside because otherwise, why are you holding someone who's really far away if they don't have a high upside? Those are the only ones you should really wait. And then the middle ones sometimes are those guys that I'm not sure about. You know, maybe they've hit a snag in their development or they're just kind of middle amount of way, like two, three years, not quite ready to break in. Or I'm just kind of unclear with what they're doing. So I try to break it into into thirds that way. Exactly. Just wanted to mention the the streaming part, but absolutely. You, you can't have all of one thing. That's, that's not a way to do it. That's not going to be as helpful to you. All right, next question. How do you evaluate trades and determine what's best for your team? This is from Roan, who's in our Discord, at RobRTSXN on Twitter. Well, well, you know what's interesting about that is I get people from time to time reaching out to me on whatever platform and asking me for advice on a fantasy hockey trade that they have. And... If they give me context for their league or if I have to ask for it, I take that and I say, I think you should do that trade or I think you're going to lose on that one. And that's so much easier to do than to evaluate my own trade offers. I really struggle with that sometimes. And I'm, I'm a bit of a fence sitter sometimes. Someone will send me an offer like I'm sitting on one right now where someone's offered me Gabe Velarde and Matt Benning for Spencer Knight. 
and I just don't know what to do. And I've been, this trade has been pending for over a week now. And it's probably gonna be another week before I accept or decline it. I have, I literally have no idea which way I'm going. But some things that I use to determine what I'm gonna do with that trade are I use the tools. There's the Fantrax player comparison. So you can select a player on your roster and then the player on the other team that is being offered you. And then when you go to search players, one of the options is player comparison. It'll give you their stats side by side and you can kind of see where their values are. You can also do that on on frozen pools as well. You can kind of select two players and it'll line them up side by side and they can go head to head on each category and it'll even color codes it for you to tell you how many wins and losses each guy has in red and green. Now, it doesn't take into account things like projection and, and upside and, and whatnot. So it's just literally using whatever year's stats you're putting in, the current year or last year's stats, that kind of stuff. And then from there, if it seems good, if it seems like a good fit for me, am I trading from a position of strength to improve a position of weakness? If someone offers you a trade where they're offering you a player that has a value of, let's say, 80 out of 100, and they're asking for your player who's a 70, well, you're getting the better player, but are you trading away your only good goalie for another left winger that doesn't really help your team very much? Then, you know, even though it's a good trade offer, it's maybe not necessarily a good trade for your team, especially in head to head situations, or where it's a category that, you know, you're weakened and you're trading away your only guy that gives you blocks. You only got one player on your team that gets more than 100 blocks a season, you're trading him away for a 40 goal score. Well, that seems like a no brainer, but you're basically conceding that category for the rest of the season, unless you can make a, a, a supplemental trade to, to address that. So that's kind of some of the things that go through my mind when I, when I have trade offers, Victor, how about you? You probably have this down to a formula. Well, like you said, there's always some that make you think, you know, and, and you really, it's, it, and like you said, when people reach out on Twitter, it, it's all about context. What is the league? What are you trying to do? Are you going for it? Are you rebuilding? Are you in the middle? Like what, what are the categories? Is there a cap? There's so many things to consider. So you really have to try to put it all into context. I think I mentioned earlier, if you have league makes in another league, that's a good place to, to ask, run it by a trusted source. You know, things like the Fantasy Hockey Life Discord or, hey, we have our own Discord now. We'll probably open up a channel for like trade review or something. So we can discuss. I think it's really important to get objective eyes on it and and really, you know, think in a vacuum. There's, there's also something that happens that I think people forget about. And that is if you just look at it in a vacuum, like say, for example, you're trading, I don't know, Darcy Kemper for you know, a really strong forward, like a Jason Robertson. Okay. Like in a vacuum, I'm like, oh yeah, Jason Robertson's a way better forward than Kemper as a goalie. But if you literally only have one other goalie who might not start that much, you're going to be completely screwed in goal if you make that trade. So you have right. to think about who's leaving your team also, right? Like what holes, what massive holes is that opening up? And another thing that I really like to do is the, is, is multiple pieces, right? So one for one sometimes can be a little hard, but you know, two for two, you know, kind of thing. You just need to make sure someone's not really trying to send you a two for one. That's really a two for two, because that's something I like to do as well. But you want to just make sure that you're hitting the right value and it's working for your team. All right, here's the next question. I don't know who submitted this, Pete. It's completely arbitrary and anonymous, but someone said, why does Peter hate defensemen and why is he wrong? Gee, I wonder where that one could have come from. So I don't hate defensemen. Some of my favorite players of all time have been defensemen. 
But in all the leagues that I'm that I'm in for now, anyways, they're all cap leagues and they don't they don't value defense as high as offensive producers. It, it makes them less important to to a winning team. So I get my offensive points and I'm in salary cap leagues that are head to head multi category. Right. So I get my offensive points from my forwards and I kind of count more on my defense to support the offense, but their main job is to flush out the hits and the blocks stats. And the problem with that is there's only, you know, there's only so many defensemen that are, that are worth about $4 million or, or, or more. And those guys are few and far between, you know, you got 5 million and plus defensemen that mainly only hit and block is not a really good use of your of your salary cap in a fantasy league and guys who are nine to 11 million dollar defensemen and that score a lot and have a few peripherals are okay but the term is usually a deal breaker for those guys so i'm coming from a position where you know there's not a lot too many defensemen that are worth more than four or five million bucks that i'm really interested in in most of the leagues that i'm in i just I just don't think it's a good use of salary cap allocation for those players. And so I guess that obviously is sort of is coming out in conversations on on the podcast. So it's a little bias of mine and I need to filter it, I think. Yeah, it was me. I put that question in there. Of course, I have I have noticed this about you. and, And this makes so much sense. If you're if you're literally just looking at cap leagues that it does really change some things and in cap leagues are a completely different animal jesse and i did do a whole salary cap three-part series on on fantasy hockey life where we talked a lot about value per dollar and all these kinds of things that really matter and i think there are some defensemen that are super valuable but in in general i i understand where you're coming from i do think it's a completely different animal in non-cap leagues in fact, one of the biggest cheat codes in non-cap leagues is go look at the highest paid players. And generally, those are guys you might want more than you thought because teams value them that much and they're going to play them that much. Even if you think they're not that good, the team thinks they're one of the best players on their team. They're going to get played a lot, regardless of whether how good they are. And they're going to get opportunity. Their contract dictates this. I know Dauber makes this point all the time, especially with goalies. You know, like we were thinking, oh, Bob isn't going to, get the net after he had such a bad season a couple seasons ago and you know it turns out of course he got tons of starts and he was good because he's going to get that opportunity when you have that cap but i think the other thing is that what i've what i've heard and what's come out on the podcast is a lot of times you have less interest in some of these potential point getters and i think the point that i wanted to make about defensemen especially in non-cap leagues is that usually you can't wait on these guys. You have to take them early because of the value over replacement. There are only so many guys that are going to run the power play in the NHL. And of course, we don't know about these prospects. Of course, we think guys like Luke Hughes and, you know, Olin Zellweger or potentially Pavel Minchukov or Brant Clark. We think these guys are going to run the power play. And, And there's a pretty good case to be made that they are. But you never know. There are always some random guys that end up getting opportunity. I don't think Vince Dunn was necessarily a lock to do that when he was coming up as a prospect and look what he's doing. So the point is that I think you need to throw a lot of darts on these defensemen and you need to kind of see if any of them tend to pan out. And so I, I like to, this is what, this is my strategy with defensemen is I like to try to get a lot of them that have that potential. And the thing is that they do take a long time 
But usually you kind of know within a couple of years if they're trending in the right direction. Like you think about the guys that were just drafted. A lot of them have offensive acumen. Okay, you see how that goes over the next year or two. You don't necessarily have to wait five years to see if they pan out. You can wait a year or two. If they're not progressing as an offensive defenseman, then you just kick them to the curb. If they are, then you hold on to them. And then maybe you'll have the next Adam Fox who took a long time to get to where he is right now. But the thing is, if you don't invest early, you're never going to get him later, right? You're never going to, you're never going to be able to acquire Adam Fox, you know, as a, for a reasonable price in a non-cap league, because no one's going to trade him or Kale McCarr or anything like that. So that's my, that's my point on defensemen in non-cap leagues. So I think it's, it's important to know which one you're talking about, because I think the conversation does shift a little bit. Don't you think Pete? Yeah, for sure. I used to be in a league with, with my friends and it's now ceased to exist, but you know, I figured out pretty quickly that it was a smaller league and, you know, we scored six defensemen per team. And so there's only, and we didn't have any peripheral stats. It was just points. And the teams that won every year were the teams that had multiple offensive defensemen to supplement their good forwards, because there's only so many defensemen that can contribute forward caliber offense. So if you've got a defense that just doesn't score, you know, 30 or more points a year versus guys that have, you know, 40, 50, 60 point defensemen, that is a huge gap to close with your forward ranks. Like you've got to have a a first line all-star forwards in order to, to compensate for that. Cause it's the, the difference in the depth and forwards is, is so marginal compared to the defensemen. So yeah. And in non-cap leagues for sure. And, and leagues that are just, that are only points even, even more so. Yeah. And you, you just basically demonstrated the VORP idea. So guys like Carlson, Eric Carlson and Roman Yossi, they are so far ahead of guys that are sort of, you know, middling power play defensemen or, you know, second, second tier guys. They're so much better than a reasonable top end forward is to an average forward. And that's the idea of why you might want to, you know, take them so much higher and why in prospect circles, you might want to value them a little bit higher. I'm a quick learner. Okay. Jesse human, one of our discord listeners wants to know studs and duds versus all average. Do you prefer one of those strategies to the other when you're drafting? Yeah, I think it depends on what round you're in, right? Like if you're in the early rounds, I'm going all out, right? I'm, I'm drafting guys who have more likely just studs and then maybe some, some guys with some, some risk factors, some injury history or, or whatever. Yeah. I think I like swinging for the fences and then later in the rounds and maybe in the middle rounds, you know, you can't, you can't just like someone was telling us at the draft, I forget who it was, Victor, we were interviewing someone. They said, you can't just swing for the fences, Shane. You can't just swing for the fences all the time. You have to have some, some guys who maybe don't have the, you know, the superstar upside, but they're reliable. They're, they're, they're guys that you know are going to play and you know are going to get you points. Maybe not, you know, 100 points in a season, but they're going to score you 50 points every year. So you got to have some of those guys that you can count on, right? That make up for some of the, the studs and duds that turn more dudley than studly. So I think my answer is a little bit of both, depending on where you are in the draft. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't grab an average, like I'm not drafting Zach Hyman with my first round pick. But he's someone who, you know, I think is pretty predictable and reliable that you can, and dependable that you can add later on. 
And then you get into the, into the late round drafts, then, you know, you maybe take a couple swings at some guys like Philip Sedina, who, you know, maybe, who, who maybe becomes awesome. Now, Evan doesn't think so, but, you know, that's just an example off the top of my head to emphasize the strategy. 100%. And I am gray bearded enough to have tried all these strategies multiple times. I know you are too, Pete. And I can tell you that, you know, for a while I was really married to the idea of like, I just want everybody who's like just above average, like in everything, you know, especially for categories leagues, right? You want guys that kind of like do a little bit of everything. And I, I think that's a pretty good way to have a pretty average team, right? So you need to, you need to swing, but you need to swing in the right places. As you said, you don't want to, you certainly don't want to go risky in your first few picks. I would say that's a really bad idea. You want your for sure, you know, point per game player or better. And I'm someone who generally fades goalies till till the very end, the zero G strategy. But I do think you you got to be a little careful with like going too far studs and duds, right? Too big a swings, you know, you can really hurt yourself. And then you get down to the end and you have, you know, garbage bin players to try to fill out your roster, especially in a cap league. That's a that's a disaster. But I think that you kind of need to go through the draft and and have your really safe picks in the middle or at the top. And then closer to the middle, you kind of take guys that have the potential to take a step forward, right? They're going to a new team, new opportunity, perhaps, or maybe they're emerging into their prime. Maybe they had some unlucky variants the previous year. So you, you take a little bit of, of a swing there. Then at the end, you're not let with, left with complete duds, right? So I think a little bit of a blend there is probably a good idea. Next question. Ian wants to know, how do you approach a fantasy draft? Do you go best player available and then switch in the later rounds to high upside or any positional focus? What do you do? That's a good question. I think early on, I'm taking, like you just said, it's kind of similar to the last question. I think earlier on, I'm, I'm taking more sure things, best player available. And then as the, as the draft wears out, I kind of look at my roster and decide, you know, do I want to, do I need to take some swings here? Do I need some, some upside? Is my team pretty vanilla or, or is my team pretty good? I got some guys here who are a little bit risky. I think I need something a little bit more reliable to fill in a couple of categories or a couple of positions. Yeah. I think overall I rank it by drafting high upside players who are reliable early. I identify positions that are most important in the league and, and then go from there and, and flesh out my roster with, with some risks and, and some some reliable assets. So yeah, it's kind of very similar to the last question. Yeah, I agree. I think that you have to be really careful to not go too positionally focused. I think that you see NHL teams doing this too, right? It's like, oh, my prospect pool really needs, you know, this player or a defenseman or a goalie. Like we saw that this year, right? In Montreal Canadiens. I really, we, they decided they needed a defenseman. They took Reinbacher. Maybe that was too early. A lot of us thought. But anyways, same kind of thing. I think you have to try to go BPA when you can. Resist the urge for positional need until you get later in the draft when the value of that best player isn't so different from the ones below it. Then it's fine to go more positional. And I think that there are more scarce positions. So I tend to look more at like right wing, defense, left wing, and fading things like center and goalie. This kind of rolls into the next question, and I'll just answer that now. And Dustin asks, given the unpredictable nature of goalies, when do you start drafting a goalie? My take on that is wait as long as you possibly can, and then wait a couple more rounds, and then wait one more round, and then probably another after that. 
because the reality is that, and you look at the the stats, Nate over at Apples and Genos did this did this analysis. You just don't return value on goalies taking them too high. There's too much random variability. And goalies that are not even drafted or taken super late end up in the top 10, 15 all the time. This is not true for forwards. You do not see forwards taken in the 18th round end up top 10 in scoring. It just doesn't happen, right? So the top scorers are generally the top scorers. There's a little bit of variance, of course, but it's not like it is in goalies. So I basically wait until there's almost no starting goalies left and then maybe I'll grab someone or I'll, I'll be, you know, I'll look at the waiver wire because, you know, guys like Carl Vilmelka come out of nowhere all the time and you can get someone playing games and just deal with it then in general. So I, I, that's how I kind of deal with the BPA and the goalie situation. Another thing you have to watch out for when you're, when you're doing your fantasy drafts that we haven't really talked about is, and Shane talked about it on the scouting episode is understanding your biases, what players you really like, right? Are you a, are you a Detroit fan and you're going to jump too early on Dylan Larkin and Axel Sandy and Pelica? Or are you a Leaf fan and you're going to draft Matthew Nyes in like the first five rounds? Cause that would be crazy. And just, you know, when you got a player who's your favorite player, maybe, and he's, you know, it's, it's too early to pick him, but he's there and it's your pick. It's, it can be very tempting to just say, ah, screw it, I'm going to get my guy. And, you know, this circles back to what I was talking about earlier. Like, being in a fantasy league is fun. And having your favorite player on your fantasy roster is fun. Because you're watching that guy a lot, and he's scoring goals, and you're rooting and cheering for him. You're wearing his jersey, and he's helping you in your fantasy league. Now, he might not be helping you as much as another guy you could have drafted in that position, but you don't think about that in the moment. And it certainly enhances your hockey watching experience all season long. I get busted with that sometimes. I'll admit it. I'm one of all, those guys. I think we all do. Hey, I got a question for you guys to wrap up our questions here. Yeah. So what what's as far as like where you guys pick in, in, in the draft, would you rather have the first pick in the pro draft and the last pick in the prospects draft, or would you rather have the first pick in the prospects draft and the last pick in the pro draft? What's your preferences or what's, what's the range that you prefer to pick in, in these, in these drafts? Well, if I, if I could choose, I would choose to pick first overall in the pro draft and, and grab McDavid. But ideally I'd like to draft kind of, kind of near the middle in both because it's a snake draft, right? So if you got the first pick and an 18 team, you don't pick again until 36. There's a lot of good players that are gone in between there. Right. But if you're picking in the middle, then, you know, you're, you don't have to wait too long for the picks to come back. And while you might not get the cream of the crop, you're going to get two really good players at, at nine and whatever, 20, 20 something, whatever my math is. It was my understanding that there would be no math. If you're a smart drafter, it doesn't really matter where you go, right? Because if you pick last in the pro draft, then you're getting back-to-back picks. And then you're going to get Connor McDavid in the, in the prospect draft. So there's there's pros and cons to either situation. But uh, what did I say? McDavid. Well, that doesn't make sense. But art, of no. course. Yeah. You're getting a Connor either way. First yeah. Overall, yeah. Prospect or <laughs> what's what's that, your preference, Victor? Yeah, I think I agree with Pete. I think that if I could have Connor McDavid the value over replacement of him against even, you know, the next super high end forward, which is his teammate is ridiculous. So I would probably do that. What's interesting is I've, 
I've had I've I've been interested in this concept a lot because I think I also agree that it, it shouldn't matter. You should be able to, to, you know, be good wherever. We at Fantasy Hockey Life did this new tier dynasty thing, and I was we had the top four and each go up to a new division, and I was interested and wondering where where did they draft? Did that correlate with who finished first? And it was generally everyone in the middle is the are the ones who finished at the top of the league. It was pretty unanimous which i find very interesting because you would think yeah that it's like that having Connor mcdavid or having the top prospect pick would really give you a huge advantage and it doesn't seem like it did which i find fascinating and one of the cool things we did in that league is that when you get promoted you basically you play for your draft position and you get to pick so they all got to pick where they draft and even though even though they all knew that they basically drafted in the middle on their last team they still went what we just said. The first guy took Vidar. The next guy took McDavid. The next guy took the second pick. And it just kind of went down and the last ones were in the middle, which I find hilarious. And I wonder if it's going to happen again that the winner comes from the middle, even though they got like the last pick of, of what they wanted. Yeah, I find that fascinating. I always yeah. like to see where people pick from and how they win and what their strategy is because it does it does differentiate. And McDavid is a huge unicorn, but I've had McDavid in fantasy leagues that I haven't won. You know, it's it's happened before. So, I think it's actually pretty common that you don't win with McDavid. Now, in a cap league, it's even more common because it kind of screws you cap wise. But I think that if you're drafting a new league and you get McDavid, yeah, you're getting depending on the size of the league, the next pick you get is you know sixteen, eighteen, twenty picks later, or whatever. That's tough. You just passed yep. up a lot of value. So if you look at like the the you know, I think a good place to be is near the turn, maybe not at the turn, but near the turn. So you get a pretty high end player. And then the next player you get is pretty close in value, right? So you get two really good players as opposed to one amazing player that generally tends to work out a little bit better, I would say. Yeah. If I don't get like a top two pick, I like picking somewhere between like, and in my leagues, it's like a 12 team league. I don't mind picking between like the nine and 10 pick then because you're still getting good value there. And then you're coming right back with something else. So Exactly. Yeah, don't get to McDavid or that's where I usually like to end up close to the turn. Speaking of draft position, what we're going to do to finish up this episode is we are going to determine the draft order for my league and Peter's league. So we have, I have this all queued up and in case people didn't know, Dauber Frozen Tools has a draft order randomizer. So I have these, I'm actually going to share my screen, even though I know people on the podcast can't hear this, but I want to make sure that Peter and Evan know that I'm not running any funny business. So I loaded everyone's names in here. This first one I'm going to do, actually, let's do Peter's League first. This is Peter's League. So I put everyone's name in here all the way 1 through 18. And I'm going to click generate draft order, and it's going to give us the draft order for these players. All right, you ready? You guys ready to learn your fate? Yep. All right, here we go. so nervous. Okay. So Pete got the 14th pick <laughs> in the pro draft. And the number one pick goes to Saqib, Curry in a hurry. Tyrone gets second. Great Valley Longneck third. Mackham Mayhem fourth. Jerry Stamp, Jim Stamper fifth. Kosha sixth. Toastman seventh. JM Tropes eight. Corey nine. J Roma ten. Jeeves 11. Colby 12. Eaglescape, 13. Pete, 14, we mentioned. Drew, Chestertonians, 15. Philovan, 16. Evan, 17. And 
Kitchener Rangers 18, which means this is rigged. Rigged. Which means Connor, which means Connor <laughs> Bedard for that last team. What you'd be picking yep. near, you'd be picking high in the prospect draft. So there you go. All right, let's do mine. Have you save that. You save that, right? Yeah. By the way, we had a fun name way to name our teams in our league. We decided instead of calling it Victor's League, we called it the the Victors. So all the Stanley Cup winning captains. And so everyone picked the Stanley Cup winning captain to name their team after. I'm the Nick Lidstroms. Of course, there's, you know, Wayne Gretzky and Larry McDonald and all these guys. Some guys I'd never heard of, like Dick Clapper. I seriously thought someone made that up, but no, (laughs) it was a real guy. A long time ago, there's the Iser plan of Vetchkin's office. So, anyways, we got fun names over over in our league, and then we just we decided that you guys should name your teams after famous Peters, which could go a lot of different ways. <laughs> oh, Peter Klingo. All right, so here goes mine. Let's see what we got. All right, so Wayne gets first overall in the pro pick pro draft. T Bay Bombers two high and wide three Ovechkin four, Brendan fifth, Billy sixth. David seven, Dick Clapper eight, Sid's kids nine, Jared ten, Drew Murphy, Merveld, sorry, eleven, Red Lions twelve, McFarlane thirteen, Bobby Clark fourteen, Lanny fifteen, the Nick Lidstroms, that's me, sixteen, Matt seventeen, and Iser Plan gets Connor Bedard. So there you go. That's the draft order. And as we said, though, I think we're gonna be making a new league with Evan. So we'll have to do that later, but I'll be posting this. And you'll be able to see a visualization of it. I will take screenshots for evidence. <laughs> Not changing it. All right. Well, that pretty much puts a bow on on the draft strategy episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening to Dauber Prospects Report number 16. If you want to give some feedback to the show or you just want to chat with us, give us a follow on Twitter. The, the show's handle is at DPR underscore show. My Twitter handle is at Farling, P-H-A-R-L-I-N-G. You can get Victor at Victor Nuno 12, V-I-C-T-O-R-N-U-N-O-1-2. And our highly talented producer that makes those sexy teasers that everyone loves is at Sabarin91. And if, like Victor said, if you want to join our Discord, just send him a, a DM on Twitter. Ask Victor for the link. He'll let you in. It's free. Why not? And don't forget to follow HockeyPodNet. For all the great podcasts on the network. I'm also proud to say that the DPR show is partnered with Fantrax. So make sure you're using Fantrax for all your fantasy leagues. And you can use the, the promo code DPR show to change over and, and sign up your league for free at, at Fantrax. Please subscribe to the show on iTunes or Spotify or the podcast aggregator of your choice and give us another one of those five-star reviews. We're really loving those in. We've got, I think, three in the last three weeks. So let's keep the streak rolling. You'll be our best friend if you do. Give us a review. It really helps the show. That's it for now. We'll see all you guys at the draft. In the meantime, keep your stick on the ice. If you're looking for a ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. Let's do that hockey.